Hello and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Korva. And I'm Kikita Kaori. And we have guests today. Yes, today we have joining us uh, Max Brook and Lydia Suen, who are part of the team bringing us Adventures in Rokugan. And that is what we're going to be speaking about today. Yes. So this week we have had a we had the announcement last week of uh, a couple weeks maybe of Adventures in Rokugan coming out, and Max shared a bunch of thoughts and on Twitter about it, and so we have dragged him into our recording space to to get all the dirt. So thank you very much, Max and Lydia, for coming on the show. Yeah. Oh, I'm happy to be here. It's it's always fun to be on. Thanks for having <laughs> us. What, since we don't know if our listeners have listened to our previous interviews with us before, Max, um, welcome back. Could you introduce yourself for us again and, and tell us what role you play in the design of adventures in Rokugan? Yeah, so my name is Max Brook. Um, I have uh, been working on and off on L5R RPG stuff since the relaunch of the role-playing game back in, what, 2018? Whenever, whenever that happened. The past. Um, the past. Uh, the ineffable past. I had the chance when Edge Studios pitched Adventures in Rokugan to participate in that and uh, decided I wanted to. Other than... Uh, L5R. Uh, I've done a lot of work on various games about plastic spaceships, uh, Star Wars X-Wing. I've worked on Star Wars Armada. I am currently uh, designing a game with Oom Games in Canada um, that'll go to Kickstarter at some point in the future. But that game doesn't even have a name yet. But I have been blogging about it, so I have a blog over at maxbrook.com, and if you want to read about it, I have some information about that there. And Lydia, welcome as well. This is your first time joining us. Uh, so if you could tell everyone a little bit about yourself and how you relate to Edge and Adventures in Rock again. Thank you. Well, I'm a developmental editor. I work with an editing house and um, I pretty much, you know, work on plot holes, pacing, all of that. It's really exciting to me. Um, I've been a lifelong gamer I started with Baldur's Gate, which was a great start. I've been really passionate about role-playing games ever since. Um, and I played D&D 5e for a few years now with a group of friends who aren't really diehard gamers, but that's kind of the end that they found. And so we've just kind of hung out in the 5e space for a long time now. Um, so that's been really fun to do that with them. Edge brought me on to be the story designer for Adventures in Rokugan, which has been a total blast. It's sort of my first journey into working in the gaming space, which has been amazing. And it's been so fun to work with Max and the team. And I'm really excited for the setting that we've presented here. And I hope that everybody loves it. Yeah, un unfortunately, obviously, if you've got a, a background and skills in looking for plot holes and, and that kind of thing, you'll not find any of that in Rokugan. No. <laughs> well, I mean, everybody, everybody has blind spots, and that's why I have a job. <laughs> and um, I don't know, it's really fun for me. It's exciting because I always tell my clients, you know, we're going to find a way to make this make sense and make it be awesome. You know, it's it's not like we're just going to try to, like, throw some spackle on there and ignore it, you know? So it's really fun to, to take something that has maybe been neglected in a story and then find a cool spin on it to make it make sense and also to feel um, to feel fresh and purposeful. So, so I take it... You're, you're quite new to Legend of the Five Rings. I am. So that was a little bit intimidating because um, as a gamer myself, I know there's always the fear that if somebody doesn't understand a game that you're really passionate about, that can be really upsetting. And so, I mean, I dived in hard. <laughs> I uh, binged L5R really hard for like a month and just did this this uh, deep down the rabbit hole search. And that was really exciting for me because um, it was like discovering one of your new favorite things really fast. 
so yeah, I would say my my love story with L five R happened very quickly, but um, very it, deeply. It, it can be very much drinking from the fire hose kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. But now we have to ask what your favorite clan is. Oh, Dragon Clan, hands down. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Am I okay? Am I inner circle now? <laughs> Honestly, so long as you have one. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. So long as you have one, that's the key. That's, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, for a brief overview, can you tell us what Adventures in Rokugan is for our learners? Definitely. So Adventures in Rokugan is a version of the L5R setting designed for the 5e mechanics and designed to make the most of the 5e system. It's not exactly a cramming L5R into D&D, because that would sort of be the obvious route to go, but also, as I talked about on Twitter and such, I think not a very effective route to go, because D&D's mechanics do really specific things, and those things are not what L5R RPG's mechanics do. And to try to make those two meet mechanically would be, I think... Probably not well advised. You'd end up with a game that didn't know what it wanted to be. And that's where I really relied on Lydia because she, much better than I do, knows the D&D 5e experience. I've played a lot of 5e, but Lydia's 5e experience puts mine to shame. So, Lydia, do you want to talk about sort of what we envisioned for this? Yeah, so, I mean, we definitely wanted something that felt like it was pretty seamless for 5e players to move into. A lot of people who play 5e, and again, my home group on Wednesday nights, they're not, um, they, they don't get easily excited about moving into new territory. They kind of know what they like, which is awesome. You know, it's fine. And I really had that group in mind as I went into this. I thought, you know, there are a lot of people like me who kind of like to experiment with new games. How can I get a group of friends like that? to experience something new that's not going to feel too stressful or too intimidating for them. And so we definitely wanted to offer something that was fresh and its own thing, but it didn't feel like you couldn't move into that with a group that maybe was a little bit resistant to try new things. And so I think it's going to be a great experience for a lot of people. A lot of existing fans, I think, will really enjoy what we did with it. And I think that they'll be able to, for the first time, get some of their friends to be able to play with them. So um, I think it, and it, it feels very D&D and it feels very L5R. We weren't trying to, you know, just kind of split the difference. We tried to do something fresh with it. And I think we did a good job. So I hope people love it. So the, the, the way we really leaned into that, doing something fresh was focusing on the, the myths of the setting. Legend is right there in the name of the setting these, like, big myths have been important since the start. I mean, I remember, you know, when I went back and reread First Edition when I was designing L5R RPG, I was struck by how really front and center all the mythology is. There's never really been a game about playing that side of the setting. You can sort of do it in some versions of the setting. We even provide a little bit of guidance about it in L5R RPG, the most recent edition. But basically, there's never been a game that's really said, what if that was the focus and the myth, that mythic mythic Rokugan fits great with the experience D&D provides. Like, that's a real, you know, not to sound too corporate, but that's a real synergy. Like, they work well together in an effective way that trying to get the L5R RPG experience of court intrigue and human drama into D&D wouldn't really deliver a product that made L5R players happy or D&D players happy. So that's... There was some concern in the community, and this has kind of been addressed and talked about, but I'm going to ask it anyway. There was some worry that moving into the D&D space would take away support from the current L5R RPG support. I was wondering if you have any information on that and how that is going to affect things going forwards. Absolutely. So the good news is the L5R RPG plan is unchanged. Um, you know, I'm still freelancing on that line. I'm still quite aware of what's going on. I can't really talk about anything Edge hasn't revealed yet, but that is moving forward. There is no change to the plan. If anything, there's a sort of optimism that Adventures in Rokugan may actually bring in new players who get interested in it. But they're they're very much viewed as complementary products, not, 
internally competitive products. So, you know, like even if Adventures in Rokugan blows up big, that will, you know, it's sort of the old rising tide raises all ships. That will only be good for the other L5R RPG because they're not the same experience. And if you play Adventures in Rokugan and you're like, oh, I really loved the setting, but I want to try something that's more about like court politics and building up my family's, you know, like connections and the, the social side of things, you won't really get that experience in Adventures in Rokugan in quite the same way, at least in terms of mechanical support. So if that's something that interests you, you might look to L5R RPG and say, oh, there's a game that's more focused on this other experience in the setting. So I'm assuming uh, that this will be straight up 20-sided dice, 5th ed, Dungeons and & Dragons, and, and no funny dice with funny symbols on them or anything like that. Nothing else needed except this and your 5th uh, ed core books, right? The various polyhedrals for doing damage. Yeah, we're just using <laughs> the standard polyhedral dice used in D&D 5e. Yeah, mechanically this game is very much not trying to reinvent the wheel of D&D. People who are playing D&D are generally happy with it, um, and we're not trying to deliver something that is totally different. Now, Adventures in Rokugan has its own stuff going on, and there is some interesting, unique stuff, but sort of if you think about it, we're not really doing system design here with a few small little exceptions where we're making a few tweaks. We're doing content design. So... There's a whole new class system, a set of classes, but those classes function in the way classes you're familiar with do. So if you know how to play a fighter, you will be able to pick up one of the new classes and read its abilities. They'll be templated in the same way. Dice, ability scores, saving throws, all that stuff is going to look like you know. It's just going to, they're going to appear in different combinations and with new abilities. Now, some of those abilities may lead to slightly different play patterns. We'll talk about that a little later, but the abilities will be templated in a way you're familiar with. One question we did get, which is an interesting one, is kind of why now and why Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition and not, say, Pathfinder 2nd edition or another another popular system? You want this one, Lydia, or do you want me to take it? Uh, sure. Um, so, I mean, a big reason why we chose D&D 5e was because of how accessible it is. Right now, you know, a lot of people who are getting into tabletop role-playing games, they get in through, you know, the gateway of 5e. And so we really wanted to be able to bring the experience of Rokugan to a lot of people, to a lot of new gamers and seasoned gamers. And this was a very effective way to do that. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, right now, there's just no other system that's anywhere close to as popular as D&D. Pathfinder 1 may have had its moment back in the 2010s, but, like, it's not close anymore. And was there a, a particular reason for why it was happening now as opposed to before or after or... Well, Edge has started a whole trend into SRD games, so I don't know if the L5R folks are aware of this, but this is not actually the first SRD game Edge has announced. The first one was the reboot of Midnight. Uh, now, Midnight started its life as a 3.5 SRD game, so it's a very fitting return, but uh, this, this is actually the second one announced. So Edge is doing a couple of these for various games that, for which it makes sense. And, you know, I think especially you'll look to see it's probably going to be the games. I, I don't know. I, I can't say exactly. But if I were going to speculate, I would say it's probably going to be the games that don't make as much sense going into Genesis. So, like, L5R Genesis wouldn't make a lot of sense for Edge to do because L5R is already has so much Genesis in its DNA that it would be pretty redundant. Um you know, they've announced Twilight Imperium for Genesis because sci-fi, D&D really struggles with sci-fi. Yeah, there are rules for laser guns, but guns really don't work well in D&D. They're, they're not generally a helpful addition. Sure, you can do it, but that's when you get to that point of turning it into something that isn't D&D anymore. And that's usually where D20 tends to break down is when you're trying to do something that isn't like adventure fantasy Again, you can absolutely do it. I've done it. But for a published product, what's, what works for a published product is different than what works for a homebrew. That makes sense. So how did you go about preparing and planning for this design? And what were your design philosophies? How did you, like, look at this uh, elephant to, 
to eat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, we definitely wanted to stay true to L5R and at the same time, as Max said, dive headfirst into the more mythological and fantastical side of the setting. And in doing so, we kind of let ourselves just brainstorm about what that would look like in the various facets of the game. And uh, that was a really exciting process. And uh, the outcome is a setting and mechanics that feel familiar to L5R, but also like heavily lean into the larger than life feeling of high fantasy adventure stories. And they, they feel like a lot of the stories that you sort of see in the background of the L5R fiction. Like one that really stands out is the Mantis story, the Heart of the Mountain, the one that's a story in setting. This is That's exactly the sort of game you'll get with this. Or uh, any of the stories about the founders of Rokugan or, you know, Lord Moon and Lady Sun. These like stories with grand cosmic consequence. Or even these sort of political fictions of the setting, where you have things like Bayushi Shoju setting himself up as this villain that he really isn't to save the whole realm. I think fans will see a lot of really strong resonances with that. And, and Lydia did a great job bringing in like interesting new ideas and evoking you know classic L5R beats. Um, in terms of planning, we knew we didn't want to make a game that just remade L5R RPG in the D20 system because, you know, personally as a designer, I honestly wouldn't have wanted to do that because I don't think it would work. I don't think it would be very good because you'd have to add so many things that you wouldn't really be playing D&D anymore. And then you'd be, you'd have this just mess where the system is fighting against itself because on the one hand, most of the system's rules relate to combat, but on the other hand, the setting encourages you not to fight things. You know, so we really wanted to make sure that the the setting and system lined up. So Lydia did amazing work getting the sort of like setting to line up with the system. And then in terms of the mechanics, you know, we wanted to ha- have some mechanics that really evoked things in L5R RPG, especially things we knew people would want to see in, a, in an L5R game. But we didn't want to add a lot of weight to a system that's already pretty heavy because D&D is not light and already pretty carefully calibrated with a balance of its own. And I'm not talking about class balance because we're we're uh, throwing we're screwing that all up by making new classes. So we'll, I'm sure we'll have our own fascinating new class balance problems in a year. <laughs> um, you won't. Good news, we fixed the class balance problems. Uh, bad news, we have new class balance problems. I'm sure, um, or at least perceived class balance problems, or what have you. But like a good example of a place we added something that uh, is, I think, significant, but not mechanically weighty, is so we've added for for the NPCs that are provided in the book, they all have a list of motivations. Um, and NPC motivations are something the GM is encouraged to think up. But also, if you need a motivation for the guard you put down, there's a guard motivations table you can roll on. It's just really for role-playing on its own. It doesn't have a lot of intrinsic mechanical weight. If you don't use it, it won't hurt the game. But certain classes, like the courtier, really want to learn these motivations and then use them to apply pressure to those characters. So we're not going to add a whole social combat system, but we are going to have class abilities that sort of evoke a social combat system. Well, we certainly got a lot of questions along that line. So if you get repeat of of questions, please forgive us because, boy, people wanted to know about this stuff. (laughs) Um, now, this isn't the first time, and this is, I think, one of the reasons why a lot of people were a bit worried about this. This isn't the first time that Legend of the Five Rings and Dungeons & Dragons have tried to coexist, because the third edition Oriental Adventures was basically taking the Rokugan setting as the Oriental Adventures setting, and there were dual stat books and all that kind of stuff. Have you kind of looked at the what went wrong and what went right with those and tried to make sure you're going to avoid those pitfalls and mistakes? So I, I'm very curious. I have a question for you two. I'm curious, okay. what, what do you two see as the biggest pitfalls of that edition? I'll admit I was not around in L5R at the time. And yeah, so, so the, the biggest thing is you, you end up with these books that I don't think the rules meshed and so the story that they were trying to tell couldn't really be told with both of those systems. Mm-hmm. Now, I was uh, around at that time, and I was playing during that time. And people 
really didn't like it for a lot of for a lot of reasons. The ones that got me the most uh, and made me uh, run away very fast was that it was the uh, cultural uh, misrepresentation, D and D, and we have a question. Our next question was on this. Um, Basically, they jammed everything from Asia, whether it was in L5R or not, and smashed it into that book without explanation or fitting in the setting. And it came out as bad uh, in terms of caricature and cultural misrepresentation um, as the original Oriental Adventures did, which is not cool if you've watched um, if you've if you've kept up with any of that um, criticism on Dungeons and Dragons, does that make sense? Oh yeah, that definitely makes sense. <laughs> I, I was just curious what sort of direction the answer should go. And uh, have we heard that? I I I feel like Lydia may have some things to say about this. I sure do. <laughs> um, so. I'm a developmental editor, but actually a lot of what I do is also sensitivity work. And uh, the editing house that I work for, um, they're kind of a front runner in sensitivity reading and cultural consultation. And we feel as well very passionately about inclusivity. And we took that all into this project. And I mean, I have a copy of the AD&D Oriental Adventures book. You know, i I've flipped through that, you know, and uh, it's not great. I will say it is not great. And um, as you were saying, you know, there's this tendency for like exoticism with anything Asian. So it's like, ooh, how exotic. Like you can, you know, take a bunch of things from different Asian cultures, mash them all together, throw a wonton font on that. And you're like, this is great. You know, and it's like, uh, maybe not. Maybe it's not great. And so what this actually has led to is Asian gamers like myself, we don't gravitate toward, t- toward these games that actually are supposed to represent us because it doesn't feel true to us. We're like, what am I going to encounter here? Like, <laughs> you know, and and so it, it just doesn't really feel like it resonates with that audience. And to the point where we have, you know, like 6% of like the US population, I mean, it's different, you know, all over the world, uh, the amount of Asians, you know, that live in any space. But when you have a game that doesn't represent the people that it's supposed to, that feels kind of disingenuous and kind of sad for people that don't get a lot of representation. And um, I think everybody knows that Asians are really, you know, underrepresented in Hollywood um, and other forms of media. And so, again, it's just kind of sad because, like, you know, as a kid who's a gamer, it's like, where can you see yourself, you know? And so we took that to mind, you know, we're like, this isn't just a game to try to introduce other people into like an Asian culture and have it be fun. We also want it to be fun for the people that it represents. And we've done a lot of deep introspection. The whole team has been fantastic. I mean, I do this a lot in my line of work and you get different levels of resistance to change and they've just been amazing. Like they've blown it out of the water and they've also, you know, really been receptive to the reasons why certain things are harmful or why we don't want to do certain things, which shows like, I think a very like earnest effort and commitment. So that's definitely something that I loved and appreciated. And I mean, there is this problem of Asians being seen as a monolith. And there are influences in L5R that aren't, you know, strictly Japanese influences. And we've done work here to kind of address that cultural appropriation in a way that feels very natural and kind of like a progression. It's nothing that's going to like upset anything. I will say, though that there is kind of an exciting secret that will be revealed for the clan that is known for being very secretive. I don't know which one that is. All the clans are uh, very open and honest, and the Scorpion will tell you that a lot. <laughs> well, that, well that, that's perfect. That leaves some some mystery. But yes, uh, yeah, Lydia really did an amazing job on this and um, uh, did a, you know a, a really amazing job expanding some of the the seeds that had started to be planted in the most recent L5R edition, but like really growing them in some good directions with details about neighboring cultures and, you know, other peoples of the world of Rokugan. And again, her work on that was just amazing. 
Thank you so much. We did. Oh, sorry. You did mention caricatures. And so I will touch on that real quick. I definitely understand your concern. A lot of times Asians are dehumanized in a way that paints them as really one dimensional, really stoic, unfeeling, or, you know, obsessed with the idea of shame or honor. And I mean, this is kind of a hot spot uh, for Asian people, because, you know, you hear the word honor, and it sounds great. It sounds very innocent. But we have to think into like, we have to think deeper, and understand when we say honor in this context, what do we mean specifically, because it's not just this general catch all that we can use to try to say, you know, like, oh, this person cares about honor. And then that's what we have for that person. And so like, we've introduced motivations, as Max has touched on. And I think that this is going to be great, especially like from a developmental editor's perspective. Every character is going to have at least two motivations, every playable character. And I think that that's going to be really strong, because it's going to force people who play this to think deeper into who their character is, like, what are their hopes and dreams? What are they worried about? You know, it's not just like, honor, or no honor, it's suddenly like, am I going to be able to take care of my parents? Am I going to be able to set out on this quest and do a good job for my clan? And it's going to be, you know, am I going to be able to navigate this complicated relationship with somebody I kind of have this on and off again love story with that's not convenient, you know, it's it's a lot of things It's thinking about the whole human experience. And I mean, to me, this is why, you know, I sit down and play a tabletop role playing game, opposed to like when I go play an MMO, you know, like it's it's a different experience. We're thinking about characters. That's what makes it really meaningful. And to me, in 5e, like the rolling of the dice supports a story. And so it's like, how can we zone in on that story? How can we make it meaningful? How can we make people think about their Asian characters more in depth and really humanize them through these motivations? And um, I mean, like, this is something that I would really love for people to think about when, um, you know, whether they're writers or other types of content creators, when they create Asian characters, again, in my line of work, like I see a lot of one dimensional characters, and we just have to understand these are human beings, you know, and, and there might be certain traditions, traditions are different than stereotypes. And so it's like, how can we look into those traditions? And there's a lot of nuance there. And um, first and foremost, instead of thinking like, exotic. How do we make this like exotic? You know, I think first we need to think like, this is a human story. So how do we tell this human story? Mm. That, that makes sense. The, the, the big shocking revelation is they're just people doing stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is, you know, and like all of our successes and failures as Asian people are the successes and failures of human people, you know, and it's not like, I don't know, that's hard. Like being an Asian person, and growing up in that setting where, I mean, I was raised in the U.S. and it was a difficult experience. Everyone had these expectations for me. You know, I should always be like a size zero or a size two. I should always like be at the top of my class. I should always, you know, whatever. And sometimes I met these expectations and sometimes naturally I didn't. And that's really hard when somebody thinks that, you know, they know you and who you should be just because of, you know, your ethnicity. Like, that's silly. Yeah, it's it's difficult with um, with something like L five R in many ways, just because Japan's culture. Yeah, you know, we we say L five R. If you say L five R is Japan, right? Or Rokugan is Japan. And it can't be Japan because Japan's culture is so tied up with the specifics of its own history that uh, you couldn't take the entire history and, and shove it into a, a brand new setting. Uh, it's very, very specific. Yeah, that's that's true. And that's not something that we've, you know, we've definitely not tried to do that. In the setting that we're presenting, it's a Japanese-inspired fantasy setting. And so, yeah, we've let go of, I mean, any sort of um, assumptions that people feel like should be involved in that. And I mean, like, it's unfair, like you said, to try to represent a country and its people in a fantasy setting that's not accurate to it, you know? And so we kind of, like, let go of that and had the space to to really kind of um, explore and not infringe upon that. 
Are there any structural problems you see in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition that you would like Adventures in Rokugan to address? Um, this is this is things like the disparity between martial classes and caster classes, uh, the whole kind of rest economy with short rests and long rests, uh, or is that not kind of part of the remit? Well, we didn't set out to fix D&D. Um, D&D is a system that, you know, has its bugbears, literal and metaphorical, um, but is fundamentally pretty good and working pretty well for a lot of people. Um, and, and we're not trying to deliver something that completely changes that. Um, but, uh, this game does have its own class ecosystem. Now it's mechanically compatible with the other classes. If you want to bring in your, you know, rogue warlock, that's fine. Your GM may have to figure out where it goes in the setting, but they probably can. It's a big world, or maybe you came from another, you know, plane in the cosmos. Who knows? That's the great thing about D&D. You know, contact other plane is what, like a six-level spell? Uh, but yes. I mean, I can say that personally, I like mechanically meaty martial classes. So the martial classes will lean more towards the battle master fighter and less towards the champion fighters. I attack it two times a turn, three times a turn, etc. But there are some options that are simpler because we do want to make sure that there's accessible content. So some of the, some of the you know, archetypes are easier, to, are, are more straightforward than others. It's, we're trying to build our own internal balance. I'm sure we'll have our own martial caster disparities, perceived or real, because it just is a thing that happens. Because when somebody can walk on walls and be invisible, it's hard to value that against a number, against damage per round. And that's, that's okay. That's honestly part of D&D's charm. But I will say that our martial classes are a little more a little more superhuman in terms of flavor, though I would argue they're still about mechanically the same amount of superhuman, because when you've seen a fighter running around with like 74 arrows sticking out of them, you, you have to say, OK, that's a little impressive, you know. All right. And uh, I, I'm going to ask this. Uh Dungeons and Dragons is not known for being a very lethal system in 5e and L5R, at least by reputation, if not always, especially in 5e, um, is not known, is known for being very lethal. Are you bringing back some of that lethality to Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, so we are, we are handling this in a pretty similar way to the way it is handled in L5R RPG, actually, fittingly which is that there is one new like subset of rules. It is for dueling, and duels are very lethal. So dueling is coming into Dungeons & Dragons, lethal dueling. Yes, dueling, dueling is a simple but pretty impactful subsystem that sits atop the combat system. So it is still D&D combat the way you recognize it, but there are some changes to make it play a lot faster so two people aren't sitting around for a long time, and thus it is more lethal because it's faster. Okay. Be fast, die young. Don't, don't board the other players. I, don't, I, I think that's the, the missing half of that, <laughs> that proverb. <laughs> um, now, okay, when the game was first announced, there were mentioned that there were going to be, I believe it was... Bushi Shigenja Ritualists, uh, I think, was the... Yes, that was a little bit of a miscommunication. So there, the, the I'm not going to reveal all the classes today, but Ritualists are Shugenja. Those are the same. Ritualists is, is the name we're using for Shugenja for a couple reasons. First, it's a lot easier to understand. It isn't jargon you have to pick up. Second, we're sort of stepping away from the term Shugenja because Shugendo, as it exists, is really not the inspiration for Shugenja. So it's just sort of an inappropriately applied word. So in this game, we will be stepping away from, from using that term just because it isn't really, it isn't really authentic or accurate and it, doesn't, it, it isn't apt. Yeah, yeah, we've done some discussions of that on the podcast in in the past about that. Yeah, um, I think there was also a question: Are there going to be courtiers as such? There are indeed. Ooh, so there you go. That's going to make some people happy. And courtiers, because this is D anD D, courtiers are mechanically combat focused, but a lot of their abilities will work outside of combat. 
So to, to give a quick example, courtiers have a lot of information gathering abilities, kind of like the Battlemaster Fighter's third level ability, but they don't take 10 minutes to use. There's the one where you can, st- like, when you spend time around someone, you can learn things about them. Courtiers have a bunch of abilities that gather clues on people, and you can use this to, like, learn their armor class or whatever, but you can also use it to learn their motivation or where they came from last. Interesting. Will you be able to differentiate a a ritualist in this setting, I guess, since we're not using Shigenja, from a normal Dungeons & Dragons spellcaster to get that mood of invoking the kami or making offerings, that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Our intention was definitely not to just rehash 5e classes. We wanted to make sure that they felt like their own thing. And so we kind of went back to the drawing board and we brainstormed um, how to make them feel very L5R. And I can say that the ritualist class is definitely not a rehash of, you know, the the wizard or sorcerer or warlock. Um, it's very much its own thing. And um, there will be elements from L5R, you know, the L5R narrative um, that are present in the ritualist class. Yeah, so this is this is the place where, uh, when we started the project, Lydia uh, recommended that we bring on Weldon Bringers, who I, I also mentioned on Twitter. And Weldon worked on the classes with me and did main design for a bunch of them and then consulted on all the others. And he just did an amazing job and really took the classes in some cool, interesting directions. And I just wanted to add that Weldon is half Chinese. He has a white presenting name, but uh, he definitely brought his expertise in different like Asian fighting styles and mythology into this as well. And it was a lot of fun not to be going it alone on mechanics. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Uh, I've got another question, which I think we've kind of addressed, which is, are there going to be social mechanics? Um, you can't, I don't think. Yes, but you won't roll to social attack people per se. It's they're going to be built into classes. So like the courtier class will have abilities that are often applicable outside of combat as well. Um, uh, so the, they tend we tended to try to give things combat and non-combat utilities. So like you know maybe you have something that can you know like provoke people and that's usable in multiple types of situations. But there isn't a full-on social combat minigame. Yeah, I, th- I think there's another another thing that, that I think a lot of people are worried about when it comes to bringing Legend of Five Rings and Dungeons and Dragons together is there's a stereotype of Dungeons and Dragons, which is the murder hobo, and in many ways, if you look at original Legend of Five Rings, like the first edition RPG, there was a lot of very much we're going to try and be the exact opposite of that with some you know. There are some positive things there, some negative things there. Is that a thing that you felt you needed to address for Adventures in Rock Again? I think, so there's there's two points um, uh, to raise here. The, the, the first is, um, I guess, in short, no, we did not. We did not attempt to take a, an L5R first edition approach uh, to uh, enforcing how players play the game. Wise, I feel. Yes. <laughs> We did not feel that was useful or worthwhile. But second of all, I see the RPG community today as being very story first in its gameplay. Even though D&D is so central to the wider community, um, streaming, which is part of the reason for D&D's centrality today, is also the reason that games are tend to be very story first. So I think the dominant play mode is people who are invested in their characters and their parties and their GM's worlds because that's the behavior they see on Critical Role and that's what they model. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of people out there playing very tactics-first games. And, you know, if you want to play D&D as a, as a tactical exercise, there's nothing wrong with that, obviously. But I, I don't hear about it a lot these days and I don't see a lot of enthusiasm for it so i i don't think we need to you know like force people to engage with the narrative i think they're going to do it anyway because i think they are already doing it for sure and i also think that the motivations will be helpful for that Mm. yeah it makes sense that does sound good actually yeah this guard you know doesn't really want to fight you that you know they just want to go home and have a hot meal 
The second biggest question that people have come, we've got lots of questions and there were various versions of this one, is is people want to know how Adventures in Rokugan will translate the clan schools into the system. You've mentioned previously, it sounds like individual separate clan schools won't be separate, translated as separate classes. Are they like school subclasses or... So general, generally, no, although there are a few schools as in, I mean, because there are schools that have their own whole mechanical system set, dedicated to them in L5R RPG, there are a few schools that fit well as subclasses. Um, but generally speaking, what we attempted to do with subclasses was provide a broad menu of options from which you could construct a character. Imagining you were building a, you're trying to build a Kakita Duelist. There's no subclass that is the Kakita Duelist school. There is there is a subclass that definitely draws on the Kakita Duelist, but you could use any of the subclasses for Duelist. And also, building a Kakita Duelist would would potentially involve a few levels of courtier, because you want the ability to be able to get people into social situations where they have to duel you and such. So we're th- we thought of the classes as sort of the building blocks that we had in L5R RPG, the classes and subclasses. So levels of a class are almost like an advance on a curriculum. And then we have a number of little quick builds that are essentially guides, short guides for how to build a character of a particular type. Um, and they often have some optionality built in. But they're essentially like, oh, I really want to be able to make my Kitsuki investigator. Oh, OK, there's a little guide on how to, how to approach that. Do A or B, choose one of these three things when you get to fifth level. Exactly. Yeah. So do you have anything mechanically at all that is your clan, um, even like D&D backgrounds or, or anything? Uh, yes. So backgrounds are exactly uh, how we handled that. One of the slight shifts we made are races, which we're calling species, and backgrounds got a little bit of a shift around in what they do. So a number of things that are in species in standard D&D that don't really make sense to be in species, like what languages you speak, because most, I guess there are probably some D&D species that are telepathic that would have intrinsic language, but most for most species, language is not intrinsic, it's learned. So language is going over to backgrounds, and then backgrounds are things like your clan. And backgrounds will unlock prerequisite free access to certain new feats. So, for instance, there will be feats that are like Strength 15 or Crab Clan. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm just imagining the kind of the, the big hulking Daidoji warrior kind of, right, I need to lift this thing. And then there's a little tiny weedy kind of um, Caillou architect saying, no, 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 I'll handle it. Boink. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, the because, you know... Police. He uses yeah. yeah, he uses leverage as well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so we wanted to make we wanted to make the clans feel interesting and special, but you know, like you want to make a traditional character for a particular clan, you pick human, which is the human we all know and love. You pick a background, and then maybe if you decided to go for a feat as a human, you grab one of the feats that's background specific or something. Or an, or another feat. You're not required to take one of those. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's easier, not not required. Yeah, exactly. And anyone else can get that feat too. It's just you you can take it even if it's sort of off type for you. Uh, so let's ask more or less the same question in reverse. Uh, I guess it's kind of how can some of the SID stuff is is have you thought about how that might work the other way around? You know, can you play a Scorpion Clan Shinobi Elf? There's nothing mechanically that prevents you from doing so. Narratively, that's up to your GM. We're not adding elves to Rokugan, but there's no particular reason there couldn't be elves living in the cold Scandinavia-inspired part of that world that we've never seen. So, or visitors from another plane in the multiverse. So, uh, I mean, D&D's spell list will get you there. So, like, you know, if, if you want to do that, you know, that that is absolutely an option, but it's not. It's sort of assumed that you can play this, you know, with the species in this book, with the backgrounds in this book, with the classes in this book. But if you want to bring other stuff in, it's all mechanically compatible. It should work together. 
I can't 100% promise it will be balanced, though there will be guidance on multi-classing outside of the book, but the guidance starts with GMs. It's up to you if you want to allow this at all. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Um, I'm now imagining there's an official uh, imperial bureaucracy in charge of finding folks and telling them that, no, this is not an isekai. You're not getting a harem. You're on your own. Good luck. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Uh, well, so you mentioned other species uh, are like Nizuki oh, yeah, or Naga or... Mm, I forgot about them. <laughs> we, uh, we, well, got, we, I, we got our own merry crew, don't we? I don't want to spoil too much, but I will say that choosing non-human as your species is a big thing in D&D. And we want and is also a big and non-human characters are a big part of the mythic side of L5R. So uh, there will be some cool new options. Uh, there will be some familiar options, but I will let I will leave that uh, to be seen for the moment. Okay. Um, so a question I really wanted to know is: so we've talked about this being a more mythic Rokugan, and you've mentioned uh, different uh, kinds of stories, both current. FFG timeline and ancient FFG timeline. So uh, related to this, when you talked about, uh, you know, Heart of the Mountain and like some Dawn of the Empire type of stuff. So is this an alternate timeline to kind of what FFG has done? Is this um, a specific earlier period or what? <laughs> it is an alternate view of the setting. The stated year will probably be sometime in the 1120s, the sort of present day of the LCG. But the story group is, you know, really interested more in sort of IP than in canon. If you have, you know, heard it all about that distinction, we're not trying to fit this game into any existing canon specifically, but rather it is intended to capture the essence of a side of Rokugan. Gotcha. Okay. okay. And um, this might be looking a little bit far ahead, but again, another thing that people think about when they think about Dungeons and Dragons is minis and GM screens and such. And I'm just wondering if you happen to know, is there any plans for that, or is that in the kind of wish list kind of realm? Well, um, we'll just see what the future holds for that. Okay. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, absolutely. And and just so you know what kind of uh, old old farts they we have <laughs> giving questions on this, I, I, I feel obliged to ask. I feel attacked. <laughs> hey, you're not the one. I shouldn't who, say that. You... Who had the original Oriental no. Adventures? So please. <laughs> hey, I played the original original 1985 Oriental Adventures. I'll have you know. Oh, Not Legend of the Five Rings. I didn't play L5R oh, okay. when it first came out. That's true. All right. So we have we have um, l- listeners who are curious and, and want to ask really old questions. So we did get the question about uh, whether there would ever be a return to L5R's D- D10 rule set of some sort, because I, I guess they remember it too fondly. <laughs> That is something you would have to ask uh, the folks, at, the fine folks at Edge. Uh, that is uh, well beyond uh, the the control of uh, a couple of freelancers. Right. Fair enough. Which, which sadly probably uh, is also the answer to the next question: is when is Edge updated website? But y- yes, that is the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I think those yeah. were the salty questions. Those were the salty <laughs> they were. We for the end. <laughs> anyway. I mean, if we, those are the salty questions we got, I'm happy. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I, I hate. I don't want to. Don't want to worry anyone. But you know, wait till the book comes out. Well, no, exactly. That's the thing. Is right now it's all great. <laughs> Everyone can imagine the book to be whatever they want, and then they'll be disappointed when it wasn't what they imagined. Yeah, and I'm certainly looking forward to it. I want to see what it's going to be. I think you've given us lots of information and, and given our listeners lots to lots to chew on. 
uh, for one way or another. So we really appreciate you you coming on board and uh, talking this through with with us. Uh, I, I hope that it puts uh, many many minds at ease and makes people very curious. I find I am very curious, but I always loved the Dawn of the Empire epic stuff. That was my style. So uh, in terms of as a as a L five R player, anyway. So. Uh, I won't say it's the only one, but it's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much us. So thank you very, very much for both of you for coming on and giving your insights. Uh, it's been, it's been, a, it's been really, really fun and interesting. Yeah, as always, great to be on. Is there anywhere on the internet if people wanted to look you up and see your stuff? Uh, do do plug away if you have anything to plug. So I'm a little bit of an internet nomad, so I'm going to turn this over to Max. Uh, yes, uh, I, I appear a few places. You can find me over on Twitter at uh, MaxCBrook, um, B-R-O-O-K-E. Uh, not to be confused with Max Brooks, the guy who wrote the zombie book. So you're, you're got an extra C, he's got an extra S. Yes, though I did, uh, and I've got an E and he's got... No, e. though I did hear him uh, speak at a commencement once and he was very, f- I aspire to be as good a speaker as he is. So, and then I've got my website, maxbrook.com. And again, I have a blog that I try to update every couple weeks there. And sometimes I succeed in that as- aspiration. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for that. Yeah. Uh, We wanted to give a call out to Fortune and Strife, which is our affiliated actual play podcast, and our friends at D20 Radio. Uh, We also wanted to give a shout out and a thank you to our Patreons. Uh, This week, we wanted to thank uh, Robert L., who calls himself Daimyo of Clan Aardvark. Uh, So thank you. Uh, And Donald W. or Miramoto Tereo. Uh, thank you both for being our patrons and letting us afford editing for this this podcast. Yeah. Our content is funded by the Discord Patreon, which supports our editing costs as well as our website, where you can find and store long-term information, some of some podcasts, RPG tools, forums, and more. For our patrons, we have special bonus content like Adventure Seeds, early access to our actual play podcasts, and more. Online, you can find us at our website courtgamespod.com on twitter we are twitter.com slash courtgamespod and on patreon we are on patreon.com slash courtgames but that is it for us this week uh thanks again to max and lydia this is kikita kaori may the fortunes favor you and i have been korva and until we meet again keep your jade handy